0: Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your kindness to us this past week and watching over us. Thank you, Lord, for um, in the midst of all the heat, just the pleasure of shade and air conditioning and having plenty of water, clean water to drink, and all those things. We are grateful for them. We don't take them for granted. We pray that you be with all of our folks that are out traveling, going to see family, and, and for the fourth celebrations. And we pray that you would preserve and protect them. We ask you, Lord, that. Uh, you'd be with us as we um, discuss modalism and help us uh, to grow in what is right and true and healthy, and to be able to answer well those around us, maybe who hold to those these positions, and and that you would uh, bless us in this in Christ's name, Amen. And so, starting today, you'll notice the piano, the keyboard is up. So, starting today, close to about ten ten or ten fifteen. Uh, Pamela is going to come in and we're going to learn a new song. We've got two songs for the, for the rest of the summer that we want to learn so we can add those to the supplemental hymn book. Okay, And so we'll be practicing all month long during Sunday school and then in August we'll sing this one for worship and then the one we're learning in August we'll sing in September. So just letting you know that's what that's all about. All right, here we are at the Heresy Zone. Fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. Its dimension is vast as space and timeless as infinity, the middle ground between light and shadow, uh, between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is also the area we call the heresy zone. And so our aims. whoop, whoop, let me do this. What are our aims? Ha ha. Anybody remember? What are some of our aims? Yeah, recognizing today where you see some of these things. Very good. What else? What else are some of our aims? Yeah, be able to give an answer. Yeah, what we believe about Christ. Okay. Anybody else? Very good. Okay. Well, that's good. We're we're, we're moving ahead here. Because the last time I asked that, it was dead silent, you know. All right. So ultimately... To be able to be aware, be, be, grow, keep stable, and grow. And here in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing what beforehand? Knowing that there are some who twist the Scriptures to their own destruction, right? Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so to that end become familiar with the aspects of our early history so that, uh, by understanding several of the major heretical movements and moments in the first five centuries, reflect on our own day and our own place in history, and then be able to be equipped to uh, explain to others uh, what we believe and why it's important. So, very good. That's our, those are our aims. I just keep putting that up there so we remember what our aims are. So the plan, as we've gone along, we've talked about what heresy is, and to think about it, we've gone through Ebionites, Ebonites, Marcion, Docetism, Gnosticism, Montanism, Arianism, that was last week, Modalism today, uh, Manichaeanism, Donatists, Nestorianism, Pelagianism. So those are where we're going. I just find that helps to have a road map and we just keep, okay, we're, we're moving ahead so that way we don't feel like we're getting stuck in a rut. We might be getting stuck in a rut, I don't know, but we'll see. So we're going to talk about modalism, we're going to, talk about, we're going to do some delineations, we're going to define modalism, uh, discuss modern modal, modalists, and deliberate on biblical responses, okay? Anybody know why, what, what does the word modal mean, or modalism, anything like that? But we don't get into the theology, just what does the word itself mean? What's the root word for modal, modalism? Mode, right? And what do we mean by mode? Yeah, method, position, the different forms, right? This mode, that mode, different venues of acting, okay? So that's why the term is being used. Um, So uh, most of the heresies, as we've said before, are answering our Lord's questions, who do you say that I am? And it will shape how they view many others, okay? And so with modalism specifically, how they answer this will also is uh, intertwined deeply with how they look at God himself and their answer to the Trinity, the the, uh, theology of the Trinity. And then various aspects of heresies will flow in and out of others. And as we get into modalism, for example, you could easily say, well, that's what those guys were, and that's what those guys were, and so forth. So like these tributary rivers flowing together and starting to entwine, it just increasingly you start seeing them meshing together in different ways, okay? So according to Alice McGrath, let's just continue to talk about heresies for just a little bit longer. According to Alice McGrath in his book, Heresies, he says there were five pressures that were spawning heresies. And I want to talk about these just briefly. There were the cultural norms. Christianity, so that the attitude was that Christianity is out of touch with contemporary culture. Okay? And so adjust and conform. That's the pressure. Okay? I love the fact that Alice McGrath said all this instead of Mike Philibert, so I'm just sharing it with you. But I think that's significant. There's also rational norms. Certain Christian ideas are contrary to reason, and you have to add to that, reason within that cultural norm. Okay? Presuppositions are like that. So certain Christian ideas are contrary to reason, therefore eliminate or modify. So we saw that, for example, a little bit with... um, uh, Arianism last week, and also some of the others that eliminate or modify. Social identity. We need to carve out a niche for our marginalized social group. So sometimes, some of the, uh, some of the heresies are actually more ingrained in a specific social groups or ethnic groups that felt marginalized, and they want to give themselves something. So there's that pressure. Those three pressures so far. Cultural norms, rela- rational norms, social identity... Religious accommodation, and here's my here's my thumbnail definition: coexist, please. Right? You remember the bumper sticker, you know, coexist, right? Yeah, you still see it, but it's a religious co- accommodation. Christianity is very, very specific, and says you cannot give obeisance, you cannot give worship to any of the other gods because that's infidelity, right? So we become this in, pictured as this intolerant group. In fact, early church, the early church was often called atheists because they didn't have a plethora of gods. They talked about one God and you had no physical representations of that God. So the pressure was to coexist. And the last pressure was ethical concerns. We saw this with the Montanists. Christianity is either too permissive or too restrictive depending on your perspective. So I just found this helpful. I wanted to share it with you. Just the the pressures... As McGrath talks about the early church and the heresies, the pressures that actually helped spawn the heresies, cultural norms, rational norms, social identity, religious accommodation, and ethical concerns. And you can see some of those even today, right? You can see some of that in the moment, right? Okay. Any questions before we move on? All right, let's talk about modalism. Modalism. Modalism actually went by several different names. It wasn't the modalists themselves who called themselves these names. It was what people called them. And if you read any church history, you have to look for any of these names if you want to find out more information about them, okay? Uh, just because of the plentifulness of names. But we're going to stick with modalism, but I want you to see the other names because uh, it's helpful. So there was monarchianism, that was one title, and it comes from two Greek words, mono, which means one, arche, which means w- rule, one rule. So it's a this sense of monism, one. Right? And there was two kinds of monarchianism. One was called what would be called dynamic monarchianism. That's where Jesus. So God is one, and Jesus is adopted and drawn and somehow becomes semi divine or divine. Okay, we've already run across some of that with the Ebionites and others, right? But that's called dynamic monarchianism um, something I read said that that's actually present day unitarianism okay? it's, a, it's a dynamic monarchianism and then there's modalistic monarchianism and that's where and this is the one that I think you'll find more common it's the most common form that one meets today it's where one god wore three masks so here you, here's my illustration so there's one god but in the old testament for example he wears the father mask if you will Okay? But when he's done with that, he, bring, he becomes Jesus. So he wears the sun mask through the Gospels. Right? And then after the Gospels, for example, he then picks up the Holy Spirit mask and walks around wearing the Holy Spirit mask. Okay? That's modalism in its simplest form. One God wearing three different masks. Okay? And you'll run across, I think you'll run across that not just in pronouncedly modalistic groups. I think you'll sometimes run across it, very often run across it, just amongst Orthodox Christians or those who are Orthodox or would be considered Orthodox because trying to explain the Trinity is hard. <laughs> so we always seem to go for what's easiest for us to explain and that's where we get in some trouble. So this is what we'll notice most of all is, this, is modalistic monarchianism. It was also called patripassianism. Okay, fancy Greek words. Patri, anybody know what patri is in Greek? Father, passion, 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 the father suffers. Okay? And the idea was, because God is this one monad, then the Father Himself had become incarnate in Christ, and therefore the Father suffered in and with Christ. That was Burkhoff's the history of Christian doctrine. Okay, so it was called Patri Patripassionism. The Father suffers. Alright? And so um, and when you have a monad, when you have this this modalism, that's where you end up. It's also been known as Sabellianism, just named after one of the biggest proponents of modalism, was Sabellius, and so it's called Sabellianism. So sometimes you hear Sabellianism. So if you ever look into a theological dictionary, there, <coughs> a theological dictionary, you're looking to a church history you look at the table of the, or the index in the back and you're looking for this there are four different names you could use okay but you'll probably find it mostly under uh, monarchianism maybe sabellianism is a second one very rarely will you hear them listed as modalism though they will do so any questions up to this point everybody bored to tears yet All right. So here's what Fitzsimmons Allison puts in his book, The Cruelty of Heresy. Monarchianism insisted on retaining the radical monotheism of Christianity. God is one. This commendable this is this commendable approach, however, was not balanced by a comparable appreciation of Scripture's clear distinction between the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Monarchianism was widely present in the church before the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., in both Alexandria, which is North Africa, and Antioch, which is just at the bottom of, uh, right at Syria and Turkey, where they come together on the uh, east side of the Mediterranean Sea. So it was prominent uh, in Alexandria and Antioch, and today it is among the most popular distortions of Christianity. I found that interesting, his observation, he's, He was an Episcopal bishop and um, was struggling with stuff inside the Episcopal church itself, but then he was looking around at the broader Christian landscape and claims that it's the most popular distortion of Christianity, one of the most popular distortions of Christianity. Any questions before we move on? Clarifications? If I'm moving too fast, slow me down. So I, this is going to be a very simple class, okay? Because there's really just one issue and you already see it right up front, all right? So I'm going to give you a chart that I picked up from a modern-day modalistic website or a monarchy website, however you want to put it. It's from the apostolic church. So there's the apostolic uh, church, there's the United Pentecostals, there's a couple of others that are very classic modalists, okay? So this is from theirs. I have a lot of dealings with the with the Apostolic Church because of uh, friends over the years. And um, so I just went there. I thought that was a good website. So here's how they would put it. The Father, invisible creator, is the Son, the Father's visible image, and is the Holy Spirit, the Father's action, a spirit in action. And so the Father is the only true God. And so God is always Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, oneness theology, modalism was the predominant view of the early Christians. I disagree with that last statement, but that gives you their, just in a picture, the idea. Okay, because anybody see any diff- issues with this right up front? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, it follows even the format, a picture format that we often use to describe the Trinity. So I thought that was interesting, but... There's a, there's, a, there's a, right up front should already be an issue because I talked about it last week. God is not love. Why? One. So, yes, like Allah. And so therefore, there's no other, there's no person in the Godhead that's the son and so you've got a problem with that first, at top. He's never been fathered then. Without the Son, you cannot be, without an offspring, you can't be a father, okay? You know, right? And so the Father and the Son, so Trinitarianism, the Father and Son have always existed. That's why you can always say there's always been love. God is love, which is what Steve was talking about, because God has always been Father and Son, and the Holy Spirit involved in that love. And so that's why he creates all things, is because he's love, etc. And you can say that, and nobody else can say that. Islam can't say it, Buddhism can't say it, nobody else can really say it. They can try to, but when you get down to that, there's problems. So that, does that make sense? Does that help? That's modalism, okay. That's it in its classic form. So where do you see modern modalism? I told you it was going to be a quick, an easy class. Where do you see modern modalism? I already gave you two. Yes, one is Pentecostal, so United Pentecostal, and their statement of faith. They very clearly are anti-Trinitarian. And uh, so and so. then you'll see it with Apostolics and United Pentecostals. Where will you see it? If you've never looked at their statement of faith, you might hear them talk about it. Probably will hear them talking about it. It becomes a kind of a one-issue thing. Um, but where will you see it? Come on, come on, come on, come on. This is very simple. Where would you see it and hear it very easily? How do you think they baptize? In Jesus' name only. Because they deny the Trinity, they're not going to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Alright? And so, they, that, that baptism then is a Unitarian baptism. The monad God who puts on three different masks. One time He's a father... Another time He was the Son, and then later on, Holy Spirit, okay? And so they will deny the Trinity, and you'll see it in their baptism. Right, 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 right. So who's running the show? Yeah, very good, Fred, yeah. And so, I mean, that's where you will see it. And so um, it's one of the reasons why when somebody joins the church, we ask in the membership uh, survey, we say, have you been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? You hear me fence the table that way. Have you been baptized, those who have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And I've had a couple of occasions where someone came from an apostolic or United Pentecostal background that was baptized only in the name of Jesus. Okay. And to their and to their credit, both of those said, "You know, I've never really been baptized there because there's a Trinity, and this is what Jesus commanded, Matthew 28." And so Carolyn was one of them. Uh, There's a fellow we knew in Midland. I won't mention his name because we had to end up excommunicating him. But that's a different story, okay? That was for other things. That was for other things. So, um, but that's I mean that's an honorable position to be in where you go, "Oh, I was wrong." Let me do this right, okay? And that was good. So, But that's the first place you'll see it. And that's one of the things I would recommend you do if you want to find out what somebody really holds to in reference to the Trinity, find out how they baptize. So like Jehovah's Witnesses will not baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because they don't believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? I'm not sure. I can't remember how the Mormons do it. I wish Wes was here. I could ask him. Uh, but they do something different. They actually do it in secret um, and so forth. And so that's a that's a... Easy place that you can see, it's very tangible. You can see right there, this is what you probably do or don't believe. Okay? Where, where else might you see modern modalism? Peter. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole passel of things there. Yeah. Sure. So same thing. Some some groups actually overemphasize the Holy Spirit to the exclusion of Jesus. A similar type of thing. So you see a lot of that. Yeah. But that's. I think maybe put it better. If that's what you. That's common folk religion. Probably or modalism is probably more akin to folk religion, and that's what you run across. Um, and it could be Presbyterian folk religion. It could be Catholic folk religion. It often looks the same when you get down to the brass tacks. And so, yes, Randy. Uh, That's probably a different, yeah, that's probably a little bit different position, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, fully God and fully man, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to exclude the, the human part as well as the divine, yes. John. An expression of the Father. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, and I think that's a and that's a good good caution to us because, you know, trying to describe we're going to actually look at the trinity or we're going to look into the trinity. We're not going to look at the trinity. We're going to look into the trinity here in just a minute. But trying to explain the Trinity, it's very easy to go to the easier explanation, right, and just fall into that trap. And if we're not good at explaining to our children and grandchildren what we mean by God being three persons who is simultaneously one God, if we're not expressing that and laying that out, then that's part of the folk religion pull that pulls in that direction. And it's very natural. It's like gravity, it just kind of pulls you in that direction. John? How are you saved? Ah, well, I mean, so the Father's, expre- the Father's visual expression in the Son, the Father suffers in the Son. He suffers as the Son. But then, Jesus isn't enough. You've got to be baptized then with the, third, the other expression of God, of the Father. You've got to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Almost always, you have to have this event. Oh, you've got to be baptized and speak in tongues. Sorry, it was both of those things. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a huge one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. The biggest heresy is actually the modalism here, but that's a, that's a good example of where you see some of that work out. It's Jesus plus because... If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, etc, then you need more. Right? Yeah. Anybody else where else would you see bonded modalism? Anybody? Yeah, the Montanists. Montanism. Yeah. Good. Okay, so I just want you, so seeing that, you realize, okay, it does show up, and I think Hal's right. I think that this is like gravity. This is where people normally go, just kind of naturally, accidentally fall into it, because they don't hear the opposite of that. They don't hear what's really true. It's kind of like, as I said, when I do uh, new members classes, I've had several people say, when they know that we're going to actually talk about the Holy Spirit for one whole class, they get excited, and they go, I grew up in a Reformed church all my life and never heard anything about the Holy Spirit, right? So if we don't talk about it and actually explain it, then there's just this gravitational folk religion pool that does draw us in the wrong direction. So, yes? Yes? Yeah, yeah. So it was only here that my husband and I were here and lovingly. So I can handle all of it, even though I got drugs up there and things. Yes, wonderful, <laughs> Nellie if you get baptized by me, you're going to get drenched. You're going to go under the water and be all wet. So I'm just telling you. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's something that I noticed too is that almost nobody, everybody assumes, but nobody asks the next question. And so I've told... Yeah, 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 that's right. That's good. Very good. All right, so let's talk about um, biblical responses to modalism, ancient and modern. And I'm just going to walk us through this. This is what part of what I do in the new members class, okay, when we have a new members class. So it's this little part right here on the Trinity. So let's work our way through this very quickly. First off, be humble about our illustrations we use to explain the Trinity because... If pushed too far, those illustrations will break. All right? So, what are some of the illustrations people often use? Egg, egg yolk, eggshell, egg yolk, egg whites, right? But that's just three pieces of one whole. So, that's not Trinitarianism. Now, it can be a helpful illustration, but just remember don't lean on it too far. I can tell you the Apostolic and United Pentecostals use the same illustration to prove part of their point. I've actually had them do it with me. The same thing with. Um, so it's three parts, one eggs. It's also the same thing with water. God is three and one. God the Father. So it's a, the the same cup of the same block of ice can be heated up and steamed and then uh, water. Okay, and so uh, and that was the one I actually got used often. So, oh, what happened to that word? Huh. A changing substance. The big thing is that it's a changing substance or essence, or it's just pieces. It's just pieces. Trinitarian being. Knowing that God is three persons, three whole, complete persons who is one God is not three pieces of God. Because if it's three pieces of God, then how much of God would you have with Jesus? Just a third. How much of God would you have with the Holy Spirit? Just a third. No, with the whole God. And, and explain that to me, Mike. Oh, I can't. But that's how Scripture lays it out. We'll talk about it. I'll show you in, in a minute. But God god is fully the father right so the father is fully god the son is fully god and the spirit is fully god holy god completely god and yet there's one god okay and the value of that we'll get to you in just a minute so be careful about the illustrations use them that's fine i'm not saying don't use them but use them cautiously and then maybe say something like this if you use the illustrations then say something like this especially when you're talking to children grandchildren or, or others Say, well, God as Trinity is something like this, but ultimately, ultimately not like this. Make sure you add that, because it says this is not a be-all, the end-all picture. Cindy. I, I, um, they do experience emotions. Right, because that would be not at the same time necessarily, things like that. They do experience the same, some emotions, yeah, emotion. I, I don't know how to answer your question, Cindy. I think you're moving into an area. Who, yeah, the three distinct persons who are simultaneously one God. So does the father, did the father suffer when Jesus was being crucified? I would say actually yes in the sense that this was his son dying. But he experienced it as a, in a different. The father experienced it as father, and the son experienced it as the recipient of what happened to the cross. And so, I don't know. Hold on a second. She's trying to get something somewhere here. Does it, does the does the whole God grieve? Is that what you're asking? Does the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit grieve? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going far afield here. Really quick. Peter, did you want to try to answer that real quick? Yeah, you have to, so there's, if you get into a full-blown trinity, if you get into the Trinitarian theology, you have to realize there's the ontological Trinity, God as he is in his essence, all right? So we're starting to ask questions about that, and I don't know how to answer that because Scripture only goes so far. And then there's the economic Trinity, how God functions in the economy, in, the, in, in salvation history. And so Peter was just addressing that as the father, the son, and how they, dip, they have different... Vo, uh, if you want to call it vocations, they have different applications to what they do. And so um, it's difficult dealing with that, especially when I have a short m- amount of time. Yes? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So let's, let's move on, okay? So how do we, what do we mean by the Trinity? Very simply, the Shorter Catechism gives it to us. What is God? God is the Spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. You can say this of the Father, you can say this of the Son, and you can say this of the Holy Spirit, right? So, there you go. And then it moves on. Are there more than, uh, more gods than one? No, there's but one only, the living and true God. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. I think that's a very simple, easy to comprehend, as much as you can comprehend the Trinity, uh, statement. Yes? yeah yes yeah yeah yes right right yeah yeah that's a that's a classic john calvin statement when he talks about the sacraments for example you can distinguish but you can't divorce the substance and the sign and all that and same thing with the trinity i love using that phrase i think that's helpful all right, so another way, in a nutshell, one God who is simultaneously three persons. That's antimodalism, that statement, who is simultaneously three persons. So the Father has always been the Father, who's always loved the Son, the Son has always loved the Father, and the Spirit has always been involved in that love between the Father and the Son. So it's three distinct persons who is simultaneously, uh, uh, one God who is simultaneously three distinct persons. So let's, um, we're clearly monotheists. We need to remember that, right? We believe in one God. We just need to say that sometimes. So, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh, Eloheinu, Yahweh, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? Just tons of scripture talking about the one God and there is no competitor. Like in Isaiah, I am the Lord and there is no other besides me, etc. So we are monotheists, one God. Mono, one, theos, God. We are monotheists to the core. And yet, Scripture says interesting things about Jesus. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, talks about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or you move to uh, John 20, verse 24 through 29. Thomas, seeing Jesus resurrected, bows before him and says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't say, Oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. No, I'm really not fully God. No, he accepts that worship, Right? And then in 2 Peter 1, verses 1-2, through 2, same thing. talks about our, Savior, our, our, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, just as a quick sample, there's tons of Scripture that lay out the divinity of Jesus. And so then, as you think through the Gospels, and you think through, like John, where, it said, where the Jesus says often, but I never do anything on my own authority, I always do what the Father said, you realize then, ah, oh, there's a distinction. Or John 1. We talked about John 1 last week. Somebody say John 1, verse 1. (laughs) This is how it sounded. All right, let's do it really loud, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So you hear the full divinity of Jesus Right and the full one God the Father is fully divine the Son is fully divine, right? There's this distinction and then in the Holy Spirit just very quick. Down Ananias and Sapphira, uh, Peter says to Ananias, "Why did you? Why did you? Uh, did the devil put in your heart to lie to God?" And then the very next sentence, "You didn't lie to man; you lied to the Holy Spirit." Right, and there are some other places you can go as well, and so. So we have this monotheism, one God, and yet we have three distinct full persons in the Godhead. Okay, And why would that be important? Here's my classic moment. Anybody remember John Matthew 3, 16 through 17? What happened in Matthew 3, 16 through 17? The baptism of the Lord Jesus. So there's Jesus being baptized. What then does He hear from heaven? Yes, this is my Son, implying what? What does it say about the speaker? Father, this is my Son. And then who's landing on Jesus in a visible form? The Holy Spirit, simultaneously! But there's one God, you can't have three masks! There you go. So every time you see a baptism, every time if you ever get baptized or you see a baptism, think about that moment, okay? And realize you're being drawn into that moment as well by your union with Christ. That's just a side point there for you. But that to me is a huge statement when you read that and you realize you can't be modalists if you really hold to this actually happening. And it did. Here's one last one, I think. So everybody turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This happens all over the New Testament, okay? Um, in a paragraph or two, you will have all three persons actually mentioned. Usually the Father is simply just called God. Sometimes He's called the Father, Okay? And when then when it's talking about Jesus, it'll either say Jesus or Christ or the Lord. Anytime you see the word the Lord in the New Testament, it's almost always referring to the Lord Jesus. And then you'll see the Spirit. And the reason why I'm going to point this out, because we didn't need to wait until the Council of Nicaea to create the doctrine of the Trinity. It was already in Scripture. As one theologian said, we had no choice but to craft it because it's everywhere. I mean, almost every paragraph of every New Testament letter, you stumble on this if you pay attention, okay? So here's Romans 5. So I want, you to pay, I, want you, um, I want you to look for all three, and I also want you to answer the question, whose love is it? That's our first question. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now uh, received reconciliation. Whose love is it? God's love, right? The Father's love. Where is that? What verse is that? Eight, yes, very good. Verse eight, okay? It's the Father's love, all right? So when was the Father's love displayed for us? it's there in verse 8 while we were sinners when Christ died a historical moment 30 AD God's love was displayed in history 30 AD when Christ died for us who were still sinners okay that's my anti-gnostic plug there by the way we love history so how does the love of God get from 30 AD to what is today 3rd of July sorry I should have changed that to the 3rd of July, 2022. How does the love of God get from 30 AD to Tony Morgan in 3 July, 2022? It's right there in that passage. Okay, that's verse 8, but this should be earlier. Yes, God's love is poured out by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. That's how... That love displayed in that historical event becomes deep and personal in this present moment. It's the Spirit who takes that love displayed there and applies it. That's what Peter was kind of referring to in the economy of economic trinity, okay? Now, this passage rocks my world and so many of these others, and this is the way I love to put it because you can't miss it. The whole God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God who is simultaneously three persons, The whole God is wholly involved in loving and saving us wholly. The father wasn't drug kicking and screaming into it. The son wasn't, you know, uh, being an adolescent who was obnoxious. The spirit wasn't, you know, I don't want to hang out with those people. Do you know what kind of people they are? No, they're all on board, all in. God was fully involved in saving us fully. Can I get an amen? Isn't that exciting? Without the Trinity, you don't have it. That's why this is so important. There you go. Look out my soapbox. All right. So very simply, there are piles and piles of Bible passages um, that we could examine. You could go to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. All three are mentioned there you can go to John 14 through 16 in the upper room discourse 1 Corinthians 12:1 through 11 and more and more and more you cannot miss the trinity unless you just are not paying attention right and so that's the that's often the traditional way that the god is the father but the father uh, sorry god is the father but the father is not the son god is the son but the son is not the father or the spirit and saying same with the Father is not the Spirit. God is the Spirit, but the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. It's a very classic way to put it, okay? So, any questions? Yes. Yes. Um, because denying that God is, you know, that, that the Father and the Son are distinct and, that, and what that means... Now, can God save them? Yes. Thankfully, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by doctrine alone, right? That would be a Jesus plus thing, right? So God is going to save. I think we're going to be surprised, right? But he does do that. But it's all got to be in Jesus. But I do think it is a hindrance. I do think so. Yes? 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 Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know they are Yeah. right Yeah, Absolutely. And I think that's exactly it. I mean, that's what I think is that it can be a hindrance, but that doesn't keep me from, you know, engaging and loving them. Yeah, yeah. And you actually have a platform of commonality to work from, right? So, yeah. Good. All right. So, there you go. That's, we talked about modalism and our answer. So, so there's where we are. The next time we get to the class, we're going to talk about Manicheanism, which is kind of a, it's a I'll put it this way, St. Augustine was a manichean before he became a before he became a Christian. Dun, 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 dun. That was a hook to get you to start looking it up. Okay. Uh, so, but next week, next week for class, we're going to do a report on the 49th General Assembly. So we're actually going to do that next week. Uh, I'm thinking about doing our Carnegie uh, video for Carnegie and also we will have done our VBS and then do the video for that as well. So that'll be the second Sunday we'll probably get back to this in about three weeks so just let you know it gives you lots of time to look up Manicheanism okay and we're going to sing here in just a second I'm going to pray and then uh, Pamela's going to lead us through this song and she'll need somebody to help pass out those uh, copies of the song sheets so let's pray Lord God what great news that you were wholly involved in saving us holy father son and holy spirit Lord, may our hearts be lifted up not only with praise and adoration, but Lord, may we be impacted in such deep ways that it grows in us humility. It grows in us um, um, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. We pray that you would prepare us as we uh, not only sing this, learn this new hymn, but also as we get ready to enter the great assembly, that our hearts will be tuned to hear you and be drawn close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I have a couple to pass out those song sheets, we are ready to go. copies on the printer. I forgot to go grab them real quick. So, Thank you. Anybody else? Did you get one? Did you get one? Did you get one? Everybody get one? You got one? You got one? It's called Make Your Own Title, John. our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hands? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess. Christ, our hope in life and death. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Amen. Unto the grave what shall we sing? Christ he lives, Christ he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, there we will rise to meet the lord then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when christ is ours forevermore oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal Oh sing hallelujah now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Amen.